One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On this episode of The Tip-Off, something different. I want to talk through one of my investigations. I just brought out my first book, No Fixed Abode is in bookshops and online stores now. It charts an investigation that has come to consume my life for the past three years. And it all started in the depths of winter, with a simple question. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. In early 2018, I was haunted. The weather was freezing, and I kept spotting stories about people dying dying on the streets. Each article in a local paper read the same. A brief description of the tragic circumstances around the death. Voices raised in outrage, cries of despair. But there was no discussion about why things were happening. And no linking up of the stories. Now, I wasn't reading all of these news stories in a vacuum. Each day on my walk to work... I would pass more and more people sleeping in tents in the centre of the city. I knew homelessness had shot up in recent years. Rough sleeping was up 169% in the eight years previous to that. So, if more people were living homeless, I wondered if more people were dying while homeless too. That question started me on a slew of phone calls, in the hunt for this fairly simple data set. Who was collating deaths of homeless people? I tried calling the police. No, they said, but try the hospitals. The hospital press officer suggested the coroner's office. They said try the council. Who pushed me to the government? Who said try the councils? Weeks passed, and it dawned on me. No one had the figures, because no one knew. No one was counting. That set me on a mission. I work at a Bureau of Investigative Journalism as part of their Bureau local team. We coordinate a network of local journalists and concerned citizens across the country. So I started by putting the call out to them, asking everyone to tell me when they heard of someone passing away who might have experienced homelessness. And I started reaching out to homelessness organisations too. 
So today I wanted to tell you about just one of the stories I heard on that journey. The story of Fabian. It was late July and I sat down to check the responses to my call out for data on homeless deaths. There, the 76th name to appear in my survey was Fabian Bayet. It was a journalist from The Big Issue who had alerted me. Liam Geraghty had heard that Fabian, who sold the magazine, had died. Liam had filled in a Google form I had created and then sent me a direct message on Twitter. Hi Maeve, just a heads up that I filed a dying homeless report on Fabian Bayet, one of our vendors who passed away recently, he typed. I replied, saying I'd spotted that Fabian's funeral was coming up. I was thinking of attending, but didn't want to cause any trouble. Liam reassured me it would be okay, and then wrote, Fabian had a sister and a brother in Belgium. I imagine they'll be over for it. One of the people I spoke to for the tribute had spoken to his sister to clear up some of the details. I believe she's called Angelique. I knew I wanted to find out more. So I booked myself a train ticket and waited. On a sunny morning in early August, I stepped off the train in Milton Keynes Station. As I made my way through the station doors, my eyes were drawn to a jumble of colour. There, by the exit of the train station, someone had set up a bedroom scene. Wooden pallets formed into a bed, a lumpy duvet hiding its occupant, a bedside table, shelves, even a vanity table. They'd clearly not been thrown up overnight. This bleak pavement scene was someone's home. A little shaken, I jumped into a taxi, and made my way out to the crematorium on the outskirts of the town. After I arrived, I soon found the crowd I was waiting for. The hall was fairly full, row upon row of mourners there to pay their respects. Bob Marley played as people entered and settled. Good afternoon on this lovely Sunday afternoon. Today we are on a journey together, a journey through memories and through pastimes. Nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it. And it's hard to forget someone who gave you so much to remember. I tried my best to be discreet, tucking away my notebook and quietly watching as one by one friends and family members stepped up to describe happy memories of Fabian. One of those was a woman named Estella. I clocked her name and scribbled it down later as I made my way home on the train. Once home, I pulled open my computer and started to search Facebook. Soon enough, I found her. I typed out a message. Hi, Estella. Sorry to write out of the blue. I am a journalist working on a long-term project, telling the stories of those that die homeless in the UK. I came to Fabian's funeral service today and was touched to see so many people sharing fond memories of him. At some point in the future, I'd really like to write about Fabian his life, his goals, his friendships. I wonder if you'd have time to meet for a chat about this. I'd love to hear more of your memories of him, I wrote. A few hours later, my phone pinged with a reply. Hi Maeve, yes, I would love to talk more. And there was more.
Estella added me to a group message, which included a woman called Angie, Fabian's sister. So I sent a similar message to Angie, and she too agreed to talk. Angie is Belgian, like Fabian, so we set up a Skype call. My French-Canadian colleague, Charles Bouteau, helped me with the translation, as I eagerly listened to all the memories Angie had of her brother. Angie described how it was hard to talk about Fabian, but she thought it was important. She described her brother as gentle, maybe too gentle, she said, but smart. He would always ace all of his exams and tests without ever trying. She explained how Fabien had had a traumatic relationship with his mother. He joined the Navy in his late teens to get away. But he came back from his Navy service a different man. He started taking drugs and soon got into trouble with the law. So he fled from Belgium to the UK and set up home in a series of squats all across London. Angie was really helpful filling in the blanks about Fabian's early life. But I also wanted to know more about what he had been up to in the years before he died. So I found myself travelling out to Milton Keynes again, this time to meet Estella and another local woman, Kim, at an allotment in Stony Stratford, just outside Milton Keynes. So this was the bench. He would come here and this would be his chill time, his meditation time, and he'd he'd sit on that bench and he'd be here for a long time. Um, I think that's the thing with Fabian is that because he was so outdoors uh-huh. <laughs> in every sense of the word, like he had so much patience to sit outdoors and uh-huh. he would just, just be in pla- you know places like this and sit for hours upon hours. Mm-hmm. And you know he would bring sometimes a, 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 a can of oh, brew we'd with have a special him. Brew. He'd Absolutely. always have a special brew with him, and maybe that's what sort of intimidated maybe some of the others. Or the older people, whatever. Estella explained how the Fabian she knew was a bit of a hippie at heart. He'd sold the big issue in the town for years, and they'd become friends after starting up a conversation when she bought the magazine. He always told me about people in Stoney. He always told me all the stories, all the things that were going on, which is why he was called the Belgian Waffle. You know, he would literally just tell you, you everything. Know, I didn't know that. <laughs> was his nickname for ages. Oh, really? No, I didn't. So this is where his... He was very part. proud of telling so... you that that was his nickname. If you didn't catch that, Fabian's nickname in the town was the Belgian Waffle because he liked to talk so much. She'd even had Fabian stay with her one bad winter, but in the end, he ended up on the streets. When somebody is a serious alcoholic and addict they don't always know how they're behaving. Mm -hmm. They're not always aware of it. So however lovely he was, and I was so grateful for him being at my house because I feel that he taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. But 
um, you saw the other side mm. and that was very difficult and we had to lay down laws mm-hmm. and say you know you can't come back here mm. when you're no. out of your face no. because it's your home and also you had a daughter yeah you know, it's yes. exactly it's, it's, yeah it's rules. so in yeah. the end because of those rules mm. he would go and sleep outside you know, right. because he chose his addiction over mm. having the warmth or, mm. yeah. you yeah. know, in the end, I say chose his addiction, you don't choose your addiction no. necessarily, you know, but the power of his addiction led him to sleep outside mm. rather than having the, the roof over his head, <laughs> which in the end, so he got really ill when he was at my house and... Um, was that when he went to hospital? And that's when he yeah. went into hospital and he was there for two weeks and that was really unlike Fabian too but they really were you're not leaving you're not no, leaving he was yellow, in the end he him. discharged him he, yeah. he did discharge himself even though there was internal Ill bleeding with liver oh, yeah. 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 He, he was yeah. all swollen he was yellow mm. um, his stomach was I mean yeah. it was like that you know it was hard and solid it was, yeah. um, there was stuff going on inside Fabian left hospital and gave up drinking for a time he even managed to travel abroad well, this is what happened. He managed to get to India, and this was my oh, message. This sure. was my message from Fabian when he got to India. Greetings from Nepal, top of the world. And I put, yay, nice one, Fab, you made it. So back in nine days, then five weeks in Stony, and only then leaving for Goa for the winter. I was like, cool, get on the meditation and spiritual path, and you, and find your spirit. He says, I finally did all that. To I heard how later Fabian had moved to Maplethorpe, up in the north of England. And I spoke to someone who knew him up there. She was able to fill in some details about how he died. And I also managed to get my hands on the coroner's and police reports. The details in them were grim. The day before he died, Fabian had been seen by the police, and he'd told them he had taken large quantities of painkillers, but he refused to get help. Instead, he went back to his tent with his friend Mark, He threw up a few times in the night. The next day, Mark went to the shops and returned to an awful sight. Fabian passed out, the tent splattered with blood droplets. The swollen veins in Fabian's esophagus had ruptured, causing him to vomit and cough up large amounts of blood. A tragic consequence of psoriasis of the liver. So, by now, I had a picture of who Fabian was, and how many lives he had touched. I wanted to know what contact he had had with official services, so I put in a query to the council, but I got no reply. From what I heard from local people, he had barely engaged with any official services. Fabian had struggled with addiction issues for years, using both alcohol and hard drugs like heroin. Drug and alcohol abuse accounts for over a third of the deaths of all homeless people in England. In fact, people experiencing homelessness are seven to nine times more likely to die from alcohol-related diseases, and 20 times more likely to die from drugs than the general population. And drug-related deaths amongst homeless people were increasing. But why? I dug into reports and studies and found that in 2012, the government had changed who was responsible for heroin and morphine services, shifting contracts from NHS to local authorities. Related deaths doubled over the next five years. And I found that council budgets for alcohol and drug treatments had been cut by 18% since 2013. 
so the services needed by people like Fabian had been cut right back. And then I heard about a chilling Catch-22 situation, with people being told they couldn't get treatment for addiction issues until they'd had their mental health issues treated. But then the mental health teams were telling them they couldn't access treatment until they were clean of their drug and alcohol addiction. It was an impossible situation to be in. It was all really worrying. And I put in a freedom of information request to the local council where Fabian lived and found there had been no review into his death, no exploration of whether support services could have helped him more. I was shocked, but I knew there was more to the story. Stay tuned for more after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fabian was one of the many, many names I'd collected by now. I've been traveling all over the country, trying to get a robust data set of all those who had passed away. The fact that there was no official data held still rattled me, but I was beginning to understand that all the figures around homelessness were flawed in some way. Even the data on how many people were sleeping rough was up for debate. Councils provided different figures, either estimates or the number of people counted on one single night. Some people had criticised that second way, warning that councils could actively try not to find people, to keep their official numbers down. I was curious about that, so I found a way to go along to one of these counts. It was taking place on a cold winter's night, 
in Islington, London. OK, I'm going to run through a briefing now. Um, Sarah is somewhere walking around with this Sarah. So she's walking around At the council the offices, I watched um, as groups of volunteers huddled around to listen to the briefing being given by the head of homelessness services. I was put in a team with a council outreach worker, a man who knew the area well, and a local councillor. We set off to our assigned patch, the area around Old Street roundabout. Um, please don't um, climb over any fences. <coughs> yeah. Don't go into any um, dark alleyways or something like that, or anywhere where you don't see an exit area. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Your health and okay. safety is very, very important. You'll have a torch here. Yeah. Um, don't shine it in someone's eyes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wherever you yeah, are. Definitely. Um, if you need to engage with someone or so, it's best to maybe you know, give people arms to them or so forth. If someone has a children, I say someone doesn't want to. It was a strange them. mission, and I was glad my colleagues knew what they were doing. I would have missed many of the dark shapes we passed in hidden doorways. Uh, we've, we've suspected that some of the might have been sleeping here, yeah. but we found him earlier, um, what was it, around a month ago, and he's now actually, you know, he's in Tanahousim, and he's now in supported accommodation, oh, doing a good. computer course, and everything like that. He's doing fantastic work. Amazing. Um, so that cardboard there, that's not a sign of uh, uh, cardboard somebody. Could, could be a sign of somebody actually, you know, yeah. um, sleeping there. Um, After a long, cold night, we made our way back to the council office. We had counted five people in our patch, and we'll later find out there were 43 people counted across Islington on that night. I was a bit surprised at that. We'd found fewer people than I was expecting. But actually, it wasn't that surprising, because it was the depths of winter, and the next borough over, Hackney, the winter shelter was open. So many people who usually slept rough in the area could have gone there. Indeed, when the official figures were collated from around the country and announced a few months later, there was a lot of shock at the numbers. Nationwide, the statistics suggested there'd been a small drop in rough sleeping. The first drop of any kind in seven years. But that just didn't tally with many people's daily experiences, working with those on the streets. So I found the true number remained unknown. The data that we had just wasn't reliable. Weeks and then months passed. We kept up the project. Members of the Bureau Local Network across the country would get in touch if they heard of a death. I kept travelling around, hitting the phones, trying to talk to everyone I could think of, to add more names to our data sets. And by October, we had it. The first annual figure ever created. 449 people who had died while homeless all across the UK that year. Today, after months of investigating this issue, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism presents a report as groundbreaking as it is stark. For months, I'd been working not allowing myself to feel too much. But one day, the month after that figure came out, I attended a service at St Martin's in the Field, a grand white stone church that sits just off Trafalgar Square. The service was held every year and commemorated those who died in London while homeless. A very warm welcome to all of you to St Martin's in the Fields today. 
lovely to see the church so full. I would like to welcome especially all those who have known homelessness in their own lives, those who are still homeless at this present time. Sat in the cool of the church, I felt a strange sensation wash over me. You'll be directed to come up to the altar row by row, and at the altar, you too will take a card with a picture by Don with a name to remember during the coming year. Keep that card with you and remember that name. Donato Barbieri, Richard Barlow, Mark Barwise, Lee Bassey, David Bailey, Leslie Beard, for months I've been working on this puzzle, trying to get to a number of those who died, and working away with an objective journalist mind. I was used to keeping a certain journalistic distance from my investigations. You often need to to be able to do the job. But there in the church, listening to all of these names, all the sadness and horror of what I'd been researching hit me. President Brown, also known as Christian. As the names were read out, 165 in total, I recognised many of them. The names kept going, minute after minute. I sat on the pew and cried. Spencer Clements. Christopher Cochran, Catherine, This wasn't the only memorial I would go to. Across the country, people had started to talk about the deaths of people experiencing homelessness. And that had been buoyed on by the fact that the Office for National Statistics had produced their first ever official data on people dying homeless, prompted in part by our work. So I travelled the country and saw plaques and memorial statues being put up, services being held, memories being shared. And in one day, I found myself back in Stony Stratford. Hey, 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 Good people of Stony Stratford are welcome, visitors. Please pray silence the unveiling of the new plaque dedicated to the life of Stony's very own celebrity and personality, Mr. Fabian Baye. I had returned because Estella had been busy. A local artist had been commissioned to draw a portrait of Fabian and his beloved dog, Pippet. And today, it was being unveiled. It was an honor to be there to see the picture revealed. Now, in the spot where he used to sell the big issue, Fabian's smiling face peers down at passers-by. A little bit of him still there, etched in the memories of his friends and relatives. 
Later, I got a word with the local town crier. Question. Certainly. Um, I'm a journalist. I, I work for the Bureau for Investigative Journalism. We've been doing a long-term project on homeless deaths. Uh-huh. Um, I saw. Well, I came to Fabian's funeral, but I didn't see the uh, procession. But yes. I saw photos, and you were out oh, as part of that. Yeah, yeah. that. Is that quite unusual? That no. Um, that? I, I'm going to get a bit choked. Sure. He was. He was a lovely bloke. Knew him well because we're obviously banding the streets sort of thing. Um, so obviously, you know, sometimes with Danny, I'll come down, stand with him, give a shout out, get people to buy the big issue. There's uh, a lovely photo by uh, one of the local Victoria Halton of uh, me and Fabian stood together just here. I'm like, ringing the bell and he's like giving her a dance and stuff. Oh, lovely! And so yeah, when uh, when he passed and I knew his, uh, the funeral was coming through town, I sort of had to stop, put the afternoon off work come down and pay me respects. Oh, so you did that in your own, yeah, yeah just out of your own, oh, it was a really lovely thing, like, there's not many. He's a lovely bloke. Yeah, he seems like it, it's quite remarkable, well, it's lovely that he's touched so many lives. Oh, in a big way. Yeah, and I yeah. care so much. How long had you known him? Like? Ever since moving to Stony. <laughs> okay, yeah, how long ago was that? Um, well, I first moved here in about 2002, but I moved back here uh, about three, four years ago, four years now. Okay. Four years. So quite a long time. Yeah. 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 And what's it? Because I've been hearing different things from different people about they, what, what they remember about him. What is it that you remember? I used to do a, quite a lot of work for shelter when I was younger. I used to live in squats. Um, so I, I, I could. It was like going back and meeting an old friend. It was uh, so similar to so many people I knew. There was that sort of camaraderie where there was nothing selfish about him. Because when you don't have anything, you've got nothing really to sort of have stolen. So you give yourself to everyone. And being such an open bloke. Yeah. It seems like he's yeah touched so many people so deeply. And this is just beautiful. Is. I mean, not it's many wonderful. towns would yeah care this much memorialise something like this. No, we love them. Aww. Well, thank you so much. You're I really appreciate welcome. that. Thank you. Over the coming months, I continued my mission and logged the deaths of many more people. We counted 800 in all all across the UK. Prompted by the Office for National Statistics, the Scottish National Records Office started to count deaths too. What had started as what I thought was a simple question had turned into years of work. I uncovered many stories of people like Fabian. I wrote about a lot of them in my book, No Fixed Abode. And in it, I grapple with and uncover just how the UK has got to this situation how years of budget cuts have whittled away vital services. And I lay out what I think we can do to escape this torrent of deaths. So that's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. I've put a link to the book in the show notes, should you want to read more. And I've put some links to services in case you want to support those who are working with and for those experiencing homelessness. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in the new year with more episodes. Take care of yourselves. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.